Welcome back to another episode of Win Championship Repeat Boston Sports Podcast. And on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about a few things. First, we're going to be talking about the NBA potential expansion draft into Vegas and Seattle and what that means for the Celtics and potentially players that could get stolen to one of those new expansion locations. Who are they going to save? Who could be available? And let's discuss. We're also going to talk about the matchup between the Dolphins and the Patriots coming this weekend. And we're also going to be discussing my thoughts on some Red Sox stuff and some of my issues with um, Cheryl Bloom and the organization as a whole. Um, and so we'll talk about that also. Um, so let's get started. So the Celtics are getting ready for a new season as the favorites in the Eastern Conference and the favorites to win a championship. But one of the things they got going for them uh, is that they added a bunch of great pieces. And now there is rumors that recently came out that in the next couple of weeks, there is a few uh, preseason games, in one in Seattle uh, and one in um, Vegas. And it seems like the NBA is going to announce at the time when those are taking place that there will be an expansion draft coming soon. And it also could mean that um, the Celtics could lose out on a player. So when there is an expansion draft, usually one player per team could get stolen. And not every team is going to lose someone. Although if they do 15-man expansion draft, then yeah, you'll lose at least one player. Because 15, 15 is 30. But if they only do like 13 players or 14 players, the Celtics could skimp out of this without losing a single player. Now, all that being said, you as a franchise get to actually go out there and save certain players in the sense that you can choose players on your team to keep out of any potential expansion draft. So if you look at the Celtics, you know, I don't know the numbers on who, uh, in terms of the amount of players that can get saved, but I do know that there is going to be at least six, seven, eight names. Now, just looking at the Celtics roster itself... Um, this expansion draft would probably take place next offseason um, if it did happen, and it wouldn't be taking place at all this year. So players like Al Horford, who have a one year on their contract, and Grant Williams, who has one year on his contract, will be um, free agents. I don't know if they're going to do an expansion draft um, before like the offseason actually starts, like they'll do it pre-NBA draft, or if they'll do it uh, post-NBA draft and before free agency starts. I don't know what they'll do in that sense, but um, my guess is, you know, at this point, they're probably not going to use the draft with these expansion teams. I think what they're going to probably do is have the draft and then afterwards do the expansion draft with um, uh, just drafted players off limits and then, you know, free agents can be kind of free game, fair game, whatever you want to say. So who knows exactly what will take place, but there's going to be a lot of guys who the Celtics can save. So these are kind of my locks um, for save. Obviously, we have Tatum, we have Jalen Brown, we have Malcolm Brogdon, we have Marcus Smart, we have Derek White, we have Robert Williams, and we have Peyton Pritchard. So those are the seven guys that are safe, in my opinion. If Grant Williams does sign a new contract, I think Grant Williams will take the place of Peyton Pritchard. And so that leaves Gallinari as the best available on the list. 
And it also leaves guys like Luke Cornett, Sam Hauser, and um, yeah, those guys also could be available. Um, and Al Horford is off this list. Um, he's going to be a free agent, and so um, that doesn't really count. So probably the best option for an expansion team is, in my opinion, Gallinari, just because he's going to be, at this point, a one-year contract um, and it also means that he's a pretty decent shooter and someone who can be a nice veteran, 6.4 million. Um, and I think he's the ideal Celtics target if they're looking for it. Cause again, the majority of the core of your Celtics team is either going to be free agents or they're going to be guys that you save. So, um, yeah, they're probably going to go with Gallinari cause the Celtics won't, especially with his injury this year, whether he is hundred percent healthy or not. They're going to leave him open and hope that, you know, he stays. But if they take him, then someone will take him. So that is my Celtics thoughts there on an expansion draft. Because, you know, I think the Celtics don't have as much in terms of players to offer other teams. Because they really only have, like, eight players in their core group. And some other uh, players on the side who are just kind of role players just filling in. Peyton Pritchard could be a good option if he is uh, left on the board. And if that's the case, he'll probably be the one taken. But I don't know if he'll be available. Um, and also with Grant Williams, they might not sign a new contract right away. Same thing with Al Horford, because if there is an expansion draft, they might want to save, you know, as many players on the roster as they can, and then be like, okay, well, you know, let's say they can save Peyton Pritchard and a bunch of these guys, and then you know, all that's really there is like Luke Cornett, Sam Hauser, and Gallinari, and they're like, okay, well. We'll re-sign Grant Williams after the expansion draft and re-sign Al Horford um, to a cheap contract and go from there. So um, I don't know if there's anything expansion draft-wise this year, um, but I do think once the offseason comes, if they actually do announce it, they'll probably have a full NBA season to get ready for it, and um, they can go from there. Now, this does mean that someone is going to have to go from the east to the west, and that probably is going to be the Minnesota Timberwolves, just based on the fact that Minnesota is not that close to the rest of the Northwest Division. Like, if you look at some of these other teams, like New Orleans and Memphis, they're kind of close in, like, proximity to the other teams in their division. But the Northwest is basically, like, Portland, Utah, Denver area. And then you have, like, Minnesota off on the side. And Minnesota is actually probably closer to every single team in the Central Division with Milwaukee in Indiana, rather than the other teams in the West that they're with now. So, just in my opinion, that's the team that's going to get moved to the um, uh, to the Eastern Conference when they bring in Vegas and they bring in Seattle. Um, so that is um, the situation with the Celtics, and so we'll see what happens with an expansion draft. But I'm not really too worried because it's not like we got a lot of guys to to worry about in the first place because we're going to save most of the guys that we can so that's that now moving on to the new england patriots patriots uh going to be starting off the season against the miami dolphins and the patriots are underdogs in this one and while i do think in just my own opinion uh tua is uh not as good a quarterback as mac jones we all know the wide receivers and the other offensive weapons are far better uh when it comes to miami um, than the Patriots. Patriots do have somebody who is a former uh, wide receiver of the Miami Dolphins. They traded for Devontae Parker, 
and a very good trade for the Patriots, basically grabbing themselves their number one option, at least at this point, in terms of the wide receiver. And this is a great scenario for the Patriots now going into week one. The captains have been announced, and the Patriots captains, David Andrews, Mac Jones, Devin McCourty, Dietrich Wise Jr., Juwan Bentley, and Matthew Slater. So um, no real um, issues there. Um, this team, you know, those are some of their better players for sure. And they don't really have a top-tier wide receiver, so there's no point in putting one of those guys in there. And they don't have a top-tier running back yet. I think they got great running backs, but no one that's a captain-worthy. So now it's the start of the season, and, you know, I think this is uh, what's going to happen. So my predictions for the game, I'm going to give you three of them. So number one is the wide receiver, Devontae Parker, is going to be the best Patriots player in that game. I think he is going to have the most yards. He's going to show off in Miami against the Dolphins. He's going to show them what he was and show them that, you know, he's better than, uh, you know, what they have. And I think he is going to be the top wide receiver for the Patriots in this game. And he might even be the top wide receiver in the game itself, but I'm not going to go that far. Um, I'm just going to say he's the best for the Patriots in this game. Number two, and this is uh, second opinion, is that Ramondre Stevenson is going to be the primary running back in this game, and he's going to score at least one touchdown in the game. So I can bet my money on that. And number three, and more importantly, Patriots are going to win this game, and it's going to be very close. So I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I don't think the Patriots are going to lose. It's going to be closer in the score, maybe a touchdown field goal range uh, numbers. Maybe they lose by, uh, or I should say, um, the Dolphins lose by uh, two points or three points or six points. I don't think the, the Patriots are going to lose, but it's not going to be a blowout. So they're not going to win like 35-7. to seven. It's going to be closer than um, expected, potentially. And I think that the new head coach, who was the former coordinator in San Francisco, um, obviously still is going to need time to get ready with this team and is obviously going to need time to kind of figure things out. And so I don't think this is going to be their victory um, in Miami. It's going to be the Patriots' victory for sure. And so this is a good situation. The Patriots do have a question mark in terms of their offensive uh, coaches. But I think, you know, their veteran coaches, Joe Judge and Matt Patricia, even though they're not offensive coordinating studs like Josh McDaniels was. And so we're going to probably also see that the Patriots are going to take a hit this season in general just because they don't have Josh McDaniels running the show on offense because Bill Belichick was kind of last year running the pseudo uh, role of defensive coordinator and special teams coordinator and kind of the head coach and general manager and everything because there wasn't a top tier. You know, it wasn't like there was Matt Patricia and there was, you know, Joe Judge and there was uh, Josh McDaniels back in the day. It was Josh McDaniels and these other guys. So now... Totally uh, different situation because we don't actually have a top coordinator, like a solidified like defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator. It's a, a shit show. And I think, you know, eventually that's going to hurt us in certain games. I think with Devontae Parker coming back to Miami, it's going to be a, a big game for him. I think the Patriots' first game will be a victory. But in terms of the coordinators, I just don't think it's going to be the best season in terms of how they handle things. And I think we might lose games that we could have won or should have won because we don't have the right guys in place, right? When you have someone who is like a McDaniels, 
he can kind of keep things, you know, calm, cool, collective in comparison to um, everything else going on. Um, and if he is, you know, in a tight game situation, whether you're up by a field goal or down by a field goal, he's someone you'd want to have to keep the offense in check. Or, you know, if you have a defensive coordinator who's very good, same thing. You can, you know, if you're up by a field goal, you got someone you know you can count on. But when there's a lot of question marks, uh, it's tough. Because the Patriots are relying on former, like, defensive coordinators who have minimal offensive experience on the coaching staff in general. And uh, Joe Judge, who was mostly special teams in New England, became a head coach and, you know, I think uh, didn't really... Uh, excelled too well as an offensive coordinator in his career, but has been far superior as a special teams. And so it's tough to see what's going to happen with this team. But I think they'll win game one. I don't know about the rest of the season. We'll kind of go week by week. And I'm going to try and talk about uh, every matchup as the week comes up and who's going to win and my predictions and all sorts of stuff. And I don't know if it's going to be a great year. I think there's a lot of question mark games, but the Patriots could have... Anywhere from like a nine and eight uh, record to like a four and um, thirteen record or something or a four and twelve record. Um, so I think there's a lot of wiggle room in terms of some of these games, and we'll have to discuss it as it goes along. So I want to kind of finish with the Red Sox, and I got some stuff that I want to talk about with the Red Sox. So if you really are looking at um, the Red Sox in general. Um, and their uh, place in baseball right now, it's not good, right? They are the worst team in the AL East. They are losing um, like crazy. They're 5-5 five and five in their uh, last 10 games with a four-game losing streak, and according to ESPN, they have a less than 0.1% chance of making the playoffs. So they're basically done by this point. Um, they have... A worse record than the Orioles, which is very surprising. The Orioles do have that catcher, Adlai Rutchinson, who was like the number one overall prospect and has excelled as a catcher so far in his major league starts. Um, and, you know, there's Toronto with the amount of young players they have and talent with Guerrero and Biggio and Bo Bichette. And then Tampa Bay is still Tampa Bay. They're still rolling. And then the Yankees, which... They're losing a lot of games, which is great, because I don't think they have what it takes to, to win a World Series, but they are the best record in um, the AL East and the second best record in all of um, the American League behind Houston. Um, so hopefully they don't end up winning a championship, which I would be happy with. But this gets to my biggest sort of question, which is Cherum Bloom and John Henry and the, the organization not really doing a good job with the Red Sox. And one of the things that I want to talk about is involving Dombrowski and Cherum Bloom and the different styles of how they ran things and why a lot of people were at first um, upset with how um, Dombrowski was kind of running the team and maybe he is uh, a little bit better of a uh, general manager than uh, Cherum Bloom is. Uh, at the moment. So I want to kind of talk about that for a second. So Dave Dombrowski's main style of being a general manager is basically having a farm system and trading a lot of your farm system for established all-star level pitchers and players. Now in baseball, unlike a lot of sports, there is a giant uh, number in terms of, you know, the amount of money you can spend because 
there is no like cap. Like in basketball, there's caps and there's a luxury tax and there's all sorts of you know other penalties. And you know at some point there's a hard cap where you can't go over that number. So you can't in basketball have five starting players with all the players making like 30 million each, right? Like you can have guys who make 30 million, but then you have to have other guys who are smaller contracts. And Golden State, for example, has a bunch of big contracts, but these are guys they've either traded for and signed extensions for, or you know, drafted and signed contracts and stuff. And so when it comes to um, everything going on with baseball, they don't have that situation. So if you're a team that's got a lot of money, you can make it happen. You can spend whatever you want and make it happen to an extent. And in baseball, if you're a team like the Oakland A's, where the money is kind of shallow and runs dry at times, like you got to kind of build your team in that regard. And if you're a team like Tampa Bay, where Sharon Bloom was before, you have to build your team like Tampa Bay. And so Dave Dombrowski took the Red Sox and said, we're one of the teams with the most money. We can spend a lot of money. We're going to trade prospects, get established players, get Nathan Avaldi, get Chris Sale, get J.D. Martinez, get all these players, and we're going to win a championship with just the sheer fact of taking all these big contracts, all these great players, putting them together. And it worked, 2018. Now, one thing that fans didn't like was eventually when these veteran big contract players dropped because they all drop off eventually you run out of prospects because they're all basically traded away and your farm system has been depleted and you have a bunch of contracts that aren't really what anyone wants and so it gets to a point eventually with this Dombrowski model which it happened in Detroit as well is where you have so many of these contracts that don't really work in the end and yes for three or four years five years you'll get a championship or two maybe but at the end of the day, it doesn't seem like it works long term. But I think that might be a better system than what is with Cheryl Bloom. Because Cheryl Bloom seems to be running this team like he's running Tampa Bay. And running this team like they're one of the teams out there with a very limited market for money. Right? Like the Red Sox are probably top five in terms of the amount of money that they have and can spend. And they're running this team with Cheryl Bloom and John Henry as if they're running it like they got nothing. And Mookie Betts is the perfect example because they didn't want to pay him, and so they traded him to the Dodgers for Verdugo. And Verdugo has been great, I will say that. He's not Mookie Betts, but he's been a pretty decent player for the Red Sox. But at the end of the day, the Red Sox cared more about cutting salary and getting rid of Mookie Betts so they didn't have to pay him rather than keeping Mookie Betts around. Now, you would have not been able to trade David Price, which that's the, the trade-off. But at the same time, you know, if you're a team that runs your organization as if you're strictly a lower-tier team, then you're just... it's not going to work, right? One of the reasons why Oakland seems to have success is they basically have a bunch of great players, and then once they hit a certain level where they want max money, they'll trade them. So they'll trade these guys before they become free agents or before they're wanting the money, you get a bunch of prospects, a bunch of young guys, and you kind of build a team around that, and just the cycle continues. So a lot of people have made the uh, joke that the Oakland A's are the AAA Major League Baseball team because all these players eventually become good, but then they get traded away for prospects. You know, look at Matt Olson. Look at uh, Montes, the pitcher. Look at Sonny Gray. Look at uh, Yoannis Cespedes. These are guys who have been great with the Oakland A's, but eventually... 
you know, their money is a lot more than they uh, can afford, and so they trade them away for a bunch of prospects in hopes that, you know, one of these guys turns out to be something and you keep it going. But for the Red Sox, if Cheryl Bloom wants to run this team, like Oakland or like Tampa Bay, where Tampa Bay doesn't have a ton of money to spend, well, you're kind of screwed in that regard. So, you know, one of the problems I have with Boston right now is that they're not willing to spend all that money that they should. Now, I do think that the general manager that the Red Sox should have, the next one, needs to be the middle ground from Dombrowski on the left to Cheryl Bloom on the right. If Dombrowski all the way to the left is spend, 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 trade away prospects, get in big players, and you have the right side, which is we're just going to smaller, we're not going to spend the money, we're going to Cheryl Bloom style things. Yes, they did get Trevor Story, but outside of that, you know, save money, not sign Mookie Betts, that sort of thing. Like, you got to find someone who's a middle ground where you can say, okay, well, I'm going to know exactly when to spend the money and exactly when to hold off. And, you know, you might have a great infield, you might have a great outfield. And what this group of players will be is a mix of, you know, smaller contracts and bigger contracts. And at this point, you won't have this desire to trade away your top-tier players. You'll sign your top-tier players who want to stay here, right? Your Xander Bogarts and your Raphael Devers and your Mookie Betts. These are guys that will eventually want to stick around. So it gets to a point where for Boston, they will eventually, um, you know, have to deal with this. And I think the fans will get upset if we're uh, lower than the bottom-tier teams because they'll be saying, why are we just letting our best players walk away or get traded away and why are we turning into a franchise that circulates their players through instead of keeping you know guys that we want to keep so eventually Cheryl Bloom is going to have that decision and eventually if there's enough upheaval from the fans it'll cause John Henry to eventually get rid of Cheryl Bloom now I'm going to be honest with you there are certain people in sports that need to kind of give up the team like James Dolan needs to get rid of the New York Knicks because he's caused so much heartache and so many problems with the Knicks. Like, you need a new owner in there, and there's enough New York business tycoons that could easily join the New York Knicks as potential ownership. And I think John Henry has his beak in too many things, whether it's Liverpool, whether it's now the Penguins, whether it's any other sports. Like, this dude needs to get out of Boston and needs to focus on, like, other stuff because he's not really a good fit, right? Like, you need an owner who's invested. Like, Robert Kraft is invested in the Patriots. He is invested. Wick Grusbeck is invested in the Celtics. Like, there's no question these guys are invested in their teams, and they're going to do everything they can to win. I don't know if Henry has the same, um, you know, enthusiasm for the Red Sox. Now, I'm going to be honest. You know, Wick Grusbeck is from the, you know, Massachusetts, Boston area. You know, Robert Kraft's from Massachusetts, so obviously there's a connection. Like, if you're someone who is from the area and you're an owner like it's a totally different story because uh if i'm not mistaken john henry has floated around in his life um it says he's from illinois and um he spent time between arkansas illinois um and then they moved to california so he went to uh, high school in california and so it's one of those things where it doesn't seem like there's really a connection at all with the Red Sox you know he's actually grew up a Cardinals fan and he loves Stan Musial so there's not really the connection with the Red Sox like some of these other guys out there and you know I think at the end of the day you have 
so many people who are just invested in the teams that they love. And I think that's got to be because that's where they're from and that's what, you know, they like. And the Red Sox just don't have, um, they don't have that uh, same thing with John Henry. And I think, you know, if you are from the area, it's a different story. So I think John Henry should probably sell the team. I think there's enough famous tech billionaire or just in general rich individuals who might have a vested interest and stake in the Red Sox because that's where they're from. They're from Boston. They're from New England. They're from Connecticut or Rhode Island or Vermont or somewhere in New England where they have a connection to the Red Sox. And if you're a kid who didn't grow up going to Fenway or you're a teenager or you went to college here, you have connections here, like it's a different story. So the Red Sox biggest issue is Cherum Bloom and more so John Henry because John Henry is basically telling the team to run it a certain way. And I think one of the reasons why Dombrowski didn't really stick around is because the, the, the farm system has kind of been depleted. And for John uh, Henry, we've had so many general managers who have built around the farm system. Look at 2004, 2007, you know, and the other championships we've had, you know, there's been uh, between Theo Epstein and, you know, all Jed Hoyer and whoever else has filled in, it's been an emphasis on building with the ground up plus adding pieces on the side. You know, 2013, perfect example. So uh, I honestly think they got to get rid of the guy. I don't really see a point in keeping him around, uh, John Henry. He should sell the team because he's just not even like the right guy for this. And he has no invested interest in what's best for the Red Sox in terms of what the fans want, which I don't think you really have to kind of pander to the fans all the time, but he just seems like someone who uh, honestly is, um, you know, a much better management guy, uh, owner with other teams. So I think trade your uh, Red Sox hat in for um, something else, just leave and sell the team and get someone in there who's going to actually want to, you know, be a part of the Red Sox. Because this is a historic franchise, and there's enough people out there who are diehard Red Sox fans that would easily jump in at the opportunity to go out there and have a piece of the action with Boston. And that's what you got to, you know, discuss. So, yeah, I think it's time to move on from the Red Sox, and it's time for us to get someone in there who's a much better fit.